Who tells our stories? Who cares about our problems? Who is holding our leaders accountable? Who's advocating for us? The Ohio Advocate Radio Show, a new weekly show dealing with all the news and analysis of the real Ohio that you live in. We're hearing from voices across the state, from Cincinnati to Sandusky, from Soyfields to Brownfields. The news you need, watching all the scandals they want you to ignore. No more business as usual with The Ohio Advocate, the voice of the real Ohio. Hello, everybody. This is Justin here with Matt. Yep, you got Matt right here. Of The Ohio Advocate. Yeah, so we've got a pretty pretty solid show here. First show uh, of the... Our, what we'll be talking about today is some good news with COVID in Ohio, as well as also a lawsuit that has been filed up against a uh, Senate bill that has come out uh, for abortion. And we'll be going into as well some of the impacts of the Ukraine issue, I guess you could say the invasion of Ukraine here in Ohio. So... All right. Thank you so much for that coverage of what we're going to be talking about today, Justin. First off, let's dive right in here. So, as I would imagine many of you are probably aware, people aren't getting COVID quite as much as they were just a couple of months ago. Uh, We have actually, here in Ohio, seen a 90% drop in the number of COVID cases since our pandemic high back in January. And this is according to 10 WBNS News that we're uh, getting this information from. But yeah, 90% drop. I believe the specific numbers here are, uh, as, of right, uh, as of the writing of this article, was we were seeing about 174 people being tested positive per 100,000 residents, which is certainly a very small number, thank goodness. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because back in the peak, it was significantly higher than that. Oh, yeah, with the Omicron surge, I believe it was, uh, according to the article here, about 20,000 new COVID cases in a, in a given day. That's, that's a huge, that's a huge uh, decrease for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We saw just insane numbers of people coming down with it. I, um, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you here, Justin, but I can say for me personally, I knew so many people that were coming down with it. I personally got it myself back around then, and it seemed like it was impossible really? to avoid. Yeah, you got the specifically you had the Omicron variant. Oh, that I don't that know. Gotten. I just know I had okay. COVID of some sort. Right, right. I mean, I I don't think I had gotten COVID at any point. Maybe early on, but I had never gotten tested mm-hmm. back like in 2012 when all of this was still new in February. I'd gotten pretty sick, but you know, mm-hmm. since then I I quarantined and all that stuff. But this is also to say, right, that although this is good news, we should all still be vigilant, still be vaccinating or encouraging people who are not vaccinated right now to get vaccinated and wearing our masks, especially when there is a mandate or or some sort of uh, procedure that is in place that tells us we should wear our masks. Just be very um, sort of understanding of the people around you, trying to protect everyone that is around you in in these times. This is not necessarily a green light to just kind of do whatever we want, Mm -hmm. go back to normal, but it's good news. Right, exactly. And as if we can keep on getting this to drop further and further, then we will have more or less a normal summer. And I think that's what all of us want at the end of it, right? Oh, yeah. I can't wait for it. Yeah, you and Certainly. me both. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. But yeah, so, I mean, as a result of this, I think there are some cities that have been opening up a little more. I'm thinking probably because their cases are even lower. Mm-hmm. But again, just be vigilant, everyone out there. 
be careful. Yeah, I know uh, along those lines, we can certainly say, uh, uh, I believe we had Mayor Andrew Ginther from Columbus mm. basically just quoted as saying that uh, decline, he had a decline in both overall case numbers, hospitalizations, and they were talking about, at least in the city of Columbus, definitely lifting a lot of mass mandates. And you're right, they're basically statewide, we're seeing that. And well, it doesn't, it means we're not out of the woods yet, but it definitely is a good sign. More so than anything else. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah, so I guess we can move on here, knowing that uh, to the next issue that we've got on the, on the agenda here, which is that there are a number of Ohio clinics which are suing, I believe it's the local, the state government here for the passage of a new abortion bill. Specifically, what is this? Senate Bill 157. Correct. Are you uh, very familiar with, with that, that bill at all? Oh, well, it's got a, a few provisions within it. Mm-hmm. One of the main things, it talks about how any clinic that, has to, or that is conducting abortions are going to be required to have what's called a written transfer agreement with a local hospital. Mm-hmm. And that basically just means that they need to have some kind of agreement worked out with a hospital near them that, they, that any of their patients could be transferred to in case they would require medical care that's beyond the care that can be provided at the ambulatory surgical facility. And we should say, when they refer to ambulatory surgical facility, that is effectively, they're, they're referring to the abortion clinics that are Correct. Uh, able to conduct surgical abortions, right? Yes, yes, exactly. And another stipulation of the bill is that all these hospitals that they have to have these transfer agreements with, they got to be within 30 miles of wherever that abortion clinic is at. So it limits it geographically to where these clinics can be. Yeah, I mean, I, I, from what I understand here, and all this is from the Ohio Capital Journal, uh, an article that was written regarding a lot of this stuff, that... SB 157, although all these things are already kind of in place, SB 157, the thing that is particularly sort of not good, I guess one could say about it, is that it's going to take these already, what seems to me like perfectly legitimate, but enough, right, regulations and make them even more complicated, essentially creating more hoops for women or uh, women who are seeking abortions to uh, have to jump through, essentially, to be able to receive that medical care that they need. Right, right. Essentially just putting more red tape on top of it all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and we should also say, right, like, that this is not necessarily an isolated incident, right? All of this is coming out of the not too long ago, what was it, like about a year ago? Yeah, I think it was 2021. Late, 20, 2020, late 2021, where the Supreme Court had effectively allowed, had effectively overturned Roe v. Wade in, mm-hmm. by allowing Texas to pass a Senate bill, uh, what was it, Senate Bill 8, that right. um, essentially had a lot of articles in it, I guess you could say, that, that mm-hmm. affected abortion in that state, making it significantly more difficult for women to get abortions there. And I believe there was even something about allowing essentially citizens to sue on behalf or sue some of these clinics for doing abortions. It was, there was a lot of stuff in that bill. Yeah. That, that would probably be the understatement of the year right there. There was so much in that bill. 
Uh, yeah, it was. It was. A, even, it, was it was a one, big one. Yeah, it even made it legal or legal within Texas for people to sue. Like, if anyone just so much as assists someone for helping mm. to get an abortion, ah, that's was, what it was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot to that, and it was certainly a big, big uproar about it at the time when that was right. passed. And you're right, the Supreme Court basically just washed their hands of the issue and allowed it. Yeah, and this is to say, right? Like, this is one of those sort of subtle things where. The Supreme Court has not necessarily directly ruled that Roe v. Wade is gone. Mm-hmm. So, in theory, it is still there. The thing that's happening here is that they've effectively said it's up to the states at this point, which is why you're seeing in Ohio an abortion bill. And I think there are some other states uh, that are also starting to sort of pick up on that. Obviously, Texas having picked up on that as well. You know, so I mean, again, these are these are sort of like the really. I don't even want to say necessarily nitty gritty, but just these really sort of subtle differences in terms of, again, the Supreme Court hasn't like actually, actually overturned Roe v. Wade, but they've Mm -hmm. effectively done so by allowing the states to to essentially call the shots on this stuff. So what we're probably going to end up seeing is is a very sort of like obvious divide in terms of abortion rights and abortion law between states based off of probably uh, their political I guess, affiliation whether they're a red or blue state and that's going right. to be the unfortunate reality that we're going to probably end up living with here well, i mean we're already kind of living with it you know yeah and as long as the i guess federal supreme court continues to just do this real slow but steady chipping away at it we're going to continue to see like you said in red states they're going to not effectively make it illegal but just continually make it a little bit harder at each step along the way just making it a little bit harder time after mm-hmm. time putting one roadblock after the other yeah in front of a basically women's right to choose what do what they want with their bodies right again it's just it's allowing that subtle change where it's not effectively illegal or i'm sorry it's not like actually illegal right but is it is effectively not viable anymore to do yeah exactly you know? the end result is the same yeah, in a sense, exactly, and that's what we're seeing here in Ohio with this uh, passage of Senate Bill 157. Uh, and, and to bring it back to that, just more locally too, uh, mm-hmm. the groups that are actually suing over it, I guess they're probably not particularly surprising. The groups that are suing over it here, yeah. But we have uh, the ACLU, uh, Planned Parenthood of Southwest Ohio, and they are suing in a Hamilton county common police court and don't forget also women women's med dayton is ah, also part right of yeah that, sorry uh, i missed that one you're right yes. yeah it's those three groups mm-hmm. that are they're suing to basically they're trying to get this bill to have ohio courts throw this bill out and say this right. is unconstitutional yeah yeah hopefully they they succeed in doing so right because it would certainly be a bit of a bright light here in terms of i guess the overarching <laughs> context of all of this that at least ohio was one of the few that that didn't allow this to kind of happen you know yeah exactly Again, it, it's an important it's important stuff right like having women's ability to be able to choose choose that sort of like what they do with their body mm-hmm. and also a lot of times it is just kind of i mean it's it's a medical thing right like not allowing women to access medical care that they need is just I mean, it's not it's terrible you know yeah, exactly. And uh, honestly, like, going back to the uh, the lawsuit itself here, I, I think this kind of hits, we have a quote from the actual, like, lawsuit itself that the clinics wrote, 
And it really mm-hmm. touches on what you were talking about with them just like chipping away and making it sl- a little bit harder at every step. Uh, right. Within the lawsuit itself, all, those three clinics wrote, quote, if plaintiff's ASF licenses are revoked, people needing procedural abortions will be forced to travel hundreds of miles round trip to the next closest procedural abortion providers. And due to a statutory waiting period, make that trip twice or stay overnight in order to access procedural abortion. And yeah, that's just, that's an end quote there, by the way. Yeah, it's just red tape. It's, it's hoops that people have to jump through. And yeah, that's just one more bit of red tape. Right. And that's what we're seeing. Just more hoops, hoop after hoop after hoop after a bit of red tape after a bit of red tape. Right, and yeah, right. you're right. That's how it really comes down to it. It's not outlawed entirely. But it just keeps getting chipped away at, little bit Mm -hmm. by little bit. Yeah. Well, we got to cut over to break here real quickly, but we'll be right back. And uh, when we do come back, we'll be talking about the Ukraine invasion, or I should say Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Mm -hmm. and how we're feeling the impacts of that here in Ohio. So stay tuned. Okay, welcome back. You are still here with Matt and Justin on the Ohio Advocate Radio Show. All right, so for our next segment, we are going to be talking broadly and also specifically about the Ukraine crisis. We are currently seeing Russia launching an invasion into the country of Ukraine. Uh, We're going to be talking a little bit both about the economic impact that we might be seeing here as Ohioans, and uh, we're going to be talking about protests we've seen, like anti-war protests breaking out here in Ohio. But first off, I'd like to start us off with, for any of you that haven't been paying attention to the news in the last however however long it's been going on, we can see, as far as this all started, on February 24th is when Russia launched its first invasion into Ukraine. This uh, comes on the back of a former invasion they launched back in 2014. 2014, Russia took over the Crimean Peninsula, which is just a peninsula on the southern coast of Ukraine, and it's got some strategic, had strategic value to the Russians. They wanted a warm water port down there. We also saw them backing separatists, or them being Russia here, saw Russia backing separatist groups in the eastern parts of Ukraine, which are right on that border with Russia. Right, which makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. It's pretty close to Russia. There's a lot of Russian... Uh folks that are there, or at least people who empathize or sympathize with Russia. Correct. Side. Yeah, and and ever since 2014, when Russian troops first entered into Crimea and the eastern Donbass region of Ukraine, uh, they've been basically funding and sending weapons to separatist groups there in the east half of the country. And then, obviously, things took a bigger turn February 24th of this year, when Russia launched a full-on invasion. Uh, we have seen they amassed around the border somewhere in the ballpark of 200,000 troops. Uh, they've invaded pretty much countrywide. They have done invasions in the south mm-hmm. from Crimea. In the east, we saw them invading from the sep- over the Russian border into the separatist-controlled regions and then pushing further towards the west from there. 
Yeah, I think in some of the maps that I'd seen, they were pretty they were pretty deep into Ukraine. Yeah. We also saw yeah. them launching attacks from the north part of the into the north part of Ukraine uh, mm-hmm. from neighboring Belarus. Belarus is a close ally of Russia, and they were allowing Russian troops to basically use Belarus as a staging right. ground. And that's where we saw a lot of Russian troops marching towards the capital of Kiev from there. Or Kiev, I'm sorry, I'm pronouncing it wrong. They are moving towards the capital of Kiev from Belarus. That's mainly just because Kiev is fairly close to the Belarus border, so it wasn't, right. wasn't particularly far for them to basically make that to march to march there yeah yeah all right so with a little background background out of the way yeah let's let's talk about what we're going to be seeing here in ohio based on this yeah and this is sort of you know i can already hear some folks probably i mean we're supposed to be a ohio-centric talk show i guess radio show Mm -hmm. but we should always remember that we're living in a very global world right where Things that are happening, even though they may seem far away, I mean, they are far away, almost across across the earth, mm-hmm. those will have reverberations here, not only in the United States, but specifically in, in Ohio. One of the ones which I'm sure a lot of people are probably familiar with are energy prices, right? I think we're already seeing right. some um, increases in, in energy prices locally here. Whether or not that's directly from russia and some of the sanctions that we've been putting on them i it's unclear again when it comes to a lot of these sort of um economic reverberations economic issues right like they're all obviously very complex and have a lot of different layers to them but Mm -hmm. um if i could quote from news 5 cleveland who had interviewed the professor of sorry political science and director for center of intelligence director of the Center for Intelligence and Security Studies at the Ac- University of Akron, Dr. Carl Kaltenhalter. Um, he had said that the Russia is a major energy supplier and a lot of energy that Russia supplies goes through Ukraine, particularly to Europe. And so there's going to be an effect on our allies economically. It's going to impact their economies, which will impact our economies, and our economy will also be impacted directly. Right. So, again, just kind of reiterating that sense that just because it's super far away, just because it doesn't necessarily, we don't necessarily get a lot of oil from directly from Russia, it'll affect our allies, and our allies trade with us, so that will affect us. Yeah, exactly. And when it comes to the trade between, obviously, you know, uh, well, countries that are at war with each other and countries that are sanctioning right. each other, and we're... Yeah. Seeing economic fallouts really worldwide from it. Now you had mentioned that we that Russia is a major energy supplier, so particularly particularly when it comes to uh natural gas. Uh we see a ton of natural gas flows from Russia through Ukraine into Europe. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, being it wintertime in Europe right now, we need that natural gas for home heating. Right. And yeah, that's I can, it's gonna hurt. Obviously, it's gonna hurt for the winter. That has certainly made an increased demand in in Europe for well, essentially just natural gas from other places. As those okay. sanctions start to take effect, as of now, I don't believe that natural gas itself is being like they're not stopping imports from Russia and Europe. But that is something that we could see potentially. Whether it happens or not is still up in the air, and that's all just up to. Political leaders over in Europe and the U.S. and what leaders in Russia want to do. Yeah. But at the same time, 
we have to keep in mind that any change in energy prices, really anywhere on the planet, with our world being as global and interconnected as it is these days, we feel them here, too. It does have Definitely. ripple effects the world over, really. So, mm -hmm. I think the most likely thing we'll see is, yeah, like, some prices for either natural gas or also, like, anything coming from oil. So, like, gasoline, diesel, we might see increases in those prices as well. Yeah. But I mean, I think those are, like, those are certainly more than me, the more obvious ones, right? Mm. But I think the other thing, too, to think about is energy is super important, really, to the production of, like, everything that we have. Like, that's the thing that fuels um, transportation. So perhaps imports and, uh, from various other countries, even within Europe, as well as just um, shipping from europe to the united states i mean that's probably also going to go up a little bit as the energy prices also go up which will make things slightly more expensive again not only that's not going to necessarily be only or directly from the um from that 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 invasion and that war but it will certainly play a big part in a lot of that stuff again the economy is super complicated and very intertwined with uh, all of the industries i should say all very much intertwined so even though you know, in one sense, one would think energy and I don't know, um, toys, not necessarily one would not necessarily like connect those two, they are connected in some form or fashion. And so one will affect the other. Yeah, exactly. We definitely see what, like you said, with everything being as interconnected as it is, anything, any part of the economy worldwide having mm -hmm. struggling for whatever reason does have reverberations. And on top of that, yeah. true, we also are slapping all these far-reaching sanctions on russia and we've seen yeah that will a also big part of the eu and america and other countries as well doing that and yeah that's currently uh not doing good things for russia's economy certainly and, not yeah yeah and that also have far-reaching effects which exactly how that will show up here in ohio we can take guesses and we certainly have been already but we yeah Neither Justin nor I are economic experts, so we can't say everything right. for certain. All we know Certainly. is that we will see effects from one Things way or another. Things will be affected. Right. We will feel it here right. one way or another. Now, with that being said, too, while we'll feel it here, we certainly are not going to go through what the people of Ukraine currently are. They yeah. are, well, they're going through one heck of a lot right now. Uh, their country's obviously at war, a war they didn't ask for. We have seen outpourings of support for them across Ohio here. Uh, we've seen a whole bunch of anti-war protests really popping up uh, statewide. Justin, can you give us some of the details about that if you can? Yeah, so I, I believe, and this is um, according to, uh, I want to say, the First Coast News here that we're getting some of this info. Uh, Parma, Ohio is, I believe, home to a pretty large amount of Ukrainian people. Um, people who are, whether they're immigrants or simply have family out in Ukraine, right? A lot of these folks feel, in, in a lot of ways, even though we're talking about we feel it economically, they're feeling it like socially, like much more sort of uh, directly mm -hmm. in that sense. Um, so yeah, a lot of these folks have been essentially holding vigils for the war that's going on, for the suffering of the Ukrainian people. Again, our, our hearts go out to them. Hoping that, uh, I mean, hopefully these sanctions do something to uh, prevent some of this or, or to yeah. stop 
the invasion from from continuing but right no yeah that's i think the hope behind it all the maybe to potentially force this to an earlier end than russia may have wanted Uh, everyone that's the goal of the sanctions i think yeah we are just seeing it honestly warms my heart to see outpourings of support just across ohio really about just people expressing support for these people that are really just stuck in a war that they didn't ask for and we're just forced into yeah. yeah and I mean, we're already seeing, like, I think the UN has estimated there's at least been, like, a few hundred civilians already dead, but that's just from what mm-hmm. we know. And this is still early on in this. We're, I'm sure, as, you know, as the dust settles and we find more clear facts about what's happening on the ground, we're going to see, I would be shocked if we don't see many thousands dead, at least. Oh, for sure, right? I mean, a lot of times during, during war times, a lot of the numbers, a lot of the details... Mm-hmm. Kind of hard to come across as everything is is very much in disarray. A lot of the the normal infrastructure for getting information is in disarray. Exactly the fog of war, as they call it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, that in mind too. Like I said, we have this outpouring of support. We have seen a uh, specifically here in Youngstown. We've been seeing uh, basically marches for peace or calls for peace in Ukraine. I, I know we had. Let's see. Uh, it was on Friday. So, um, March 4th, we had a, there was a noon vigil that they had that was called by uh, advocates in Youngstown. Uh, they were at the federal courthouse, basically just asking for peace, hoping for peace, just an outpouring support and just trying to have some solidarity with the Ukrainians that are currently living through a war. Uh, we also saw last Sunday, uh, they had gatherings of over a hundred people at the, um, Let's see, the SS Peter and Paul Ukrainian Church in Youngstown. We also saw, oh, was it? We had some demonstrations at the First Unitarian Church of Toledo. They held a peace vigil there well. They were uh, just trying to connect people, and they were organizing donations there as well to help out the people of Ukraine. And we should say that you could also, you know, all, all of you guys listening at home, or folks, I should say, listening at home, can also assist with the local Ukrainian Cultural Association. If you go to their website, they have some... Uh, couple links for donations and stuff to help revived soldiers of ukraine i believe is the thing that they're contributing to so you know feel free to to give them support whether it's through through uh messages or or hopefully also through through some money perhaps you know if you can spare yeah exactly at at this point there's going to be such a need for just supplies humanitarian supplies for refugees I believe the UN has estimated that somewhere in the ballpark of a million people have fled Ukraine just in the past yeah. week. A million people that all are going to need support that, well, they're refugees now. They have nothing. Right. They just have what the clothes in their backs and whatever they're able to carry with them. And they had to leave everything behind in a war-torn country that they may or may not be able to come back to. So yeah, I would highly encourage anyone listening... If you are of the means and able to do so, throw a few bucks in, do something to help out. There's plenty of great organizations out there that are absolutely looking to help the refugees from this conflict. And really, that's mm-hmm. what we're going to need. And I think that's probably a part of these vigils, too, is to just get some support for these people. Yeah, get some awareness out there. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's 100% needed right now. And... Again, my heart goes out to the people that are affected by this. To all the people of Ukraine, I hope for the least death and destruction possible. 
Obviously, there was not going to be a zero amount in this, but I hope for the least amount possible, and I hope they can recover quick. Yeah, hope they can, um, you know, hearts go out to them. Hope you can, they make it through right. another strong country. So, All right, so on that, we are going to have to take a quick break here. Uh, we're going to cut over to commercial. Uh, when we come back, though, we will have an interview with Donna Plunkett, Ohio citizen here who is doing some great work on trying to transform Ohio into what she calls a model democracy state. So if you'd like to hear more about that, then stick around. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. You are here listening to The Ohio Advocate on the new Talk of the Town, 97.7 FM and 1570 AM. So we're going to be hearing here from uh, Matt, who has Matt Martin, who is has an interview with Donna Plunkett about turning Ohio into a model democracy state. Interesting stuff. So we'll go ahead and uh, hear from them now. Yeah. Okay, we are here with Donna Plunkett. She is a concerned citizen and an organizer who is working to transform Ohio into what she calls a model democracy state. Welcome, Donna. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're certainly glad to have you on the show. So, um, yeah, I want to talk about the idea that you're trying to put forward here and kind of what your vision is. You have talked about wanting to change Ohio into what is what you call a model democracy state. Can you kind of give us a little overview of the idea and what that entails? Sure. Um, Actually, the idea comes from uh, a former Supreme Court justice, Louis Brandeis, uh, back in the 1914 era, uh, so quite a while ago. And he at that time said, if a state's citizens have the courage they can become laboratories of democracy and serve as models for other states Mm -hmm. and experiment without um, problems occurring in other states until those states are ready to follow or to uh, reach out and say, well, how can we make this, what you're doing, work in our state? And so that's where I got the original idea, all right? And then he went on, he went on to say, um, in addition to that, that uh, the most important political office in the United States is that of citizen. And so citizens are the ones who can make this happen by pulling together, by learning about what is a democracy and how have we gone astray over the last few years uh, and throughout our history in different periods of our history, we've, uh, you know, pulled away from the idea of a democracy and we've always been able to come back to it. And uh, we hopefully can make it stronger each time we do that. Um, Mm -hmm. The most important office being citizen. Well, then citizens can save our democratic Republic form of democracy by having the courage. Right. 
Pardon? I said, absolutely. It has to come from us, right? Yes. It has to come from us. Yeah. And, you know, there was a time, and I think a lot of people feel this way. I would look to the government and I'd say, you know, they're going to step in. They're going to do something about what's occurring. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, no. No, they're not. That right. we and which is the which is what a democracy is. Demos means people. And it's the the people here that are going to make this happen. So, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and I think I think Ohio citizens have that kind of courage that Brandeis was talking about uh, to lead the nation in advancing an ever more perfect union. We are not perfect by any means. No one believes we are. Uh, and But there are many of us who want to continue to strive to reach as close to perfection as we can get, always striving for that. And the model of democracy state helps us get there, I believe. Gotcha. Well, yeah, that definitely seems like something that is absolutely worth striving for. Uh, as we've seen over the past handful of years here, so many attacks on Things from voting rights to just disenfranchisement in general and just overall democratic backsliding here, both within our country and within our state. So you're right. We do need to see some changes enacted. And I'm wholeheartedly in agreement with you there that got to come from the bottom on up. That's I mean, that's how democracy should work, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yes. And but we have to take the initiative. We have to mm -hmm. start. A, we have to do something. Um, whether it's one small thing at a time until it builds to uh, something larger and, and can develop into uh, what I'm looking at and other people are looking at as well. Michigan has started something called We Michigan. Uh, we Make Michigan, I believe is what they call it. And it's very similar to what my idea is. We just have different titles for it. So mm -hmm. there are already states that have moved and are moving in this direction and taking the bull by the horn, so to speak, and trying to develop a, a stronger democracy in our country and by state by state. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right, well, I guess... um. My question for you would be, uh, what do you see Ohio citizens doing? Like, how can people get involved in a way that can make an idea of Ohio becoming a truly model democracy state? How can people get involved to, to make this a reality? Uh, well, first of all, they need to believe in democracy. And that sounds a little uh, circular reasoning but uh you know they have to really believe in its tenets its principles its processes its design mm -hmm. its obligations because there are obligations and responsibilities of citizens in a democracy that have to be met or things will not work as they should uh its institutions and its goals they also have to have a deep belief in um our countries our democracies perfectibility if you don't believe that we can move toward perfectibility, then you're discouraged from the start. So you've got to have a deep belief in its perfectibility. Uh, and citizens know that a democracy that um, when it starts mm. to go awry, as what we're seeing now, that it's not the fault of the democracy, of the ideal or idea mm. or ideal of democracy, but rather it's the fault of the people who, for whatever reason, um, get distracted by their desires mm -hmm. for power or for wealth or for control or because they've been disappointed in um, 
not getting as far ahead in and having opportunities perhaps that they would like to have and uh so it, the people have become um it, it's been difficult for them often to see that democracy is not there's nothing wrong with democracy as long as we keep right. working at it and we have to put aside all these other things that distract us and and move forward in that direction yeah absolutely and I guess uh, to kind of keep going along that line a little bit, too, what I'm wondering here okay. <laughs> is that we see a lot of well, how you were talking about it being just the people not standing up for democracy. We have a lot of elected politicians mm -hmm. right now who are basically just trying to push lies about democracy, how it functions, and they're out there lying about if we even should need it. And right. we have a whole lot of citizens that are... I guess more or less just going along with it. My question to you is what would you say mm -hmm. to some of those people that are buying into things like that? Well, I, I understand where they're coming from. You know, we've had some rough times where jobs have been lost. Uh, you know, the, the old, uh, um, where you, you get a job and you stay at a place for life and, you know, it, the, uh, the manager and you and, and work in tandem, uh, you have unions, et cetera. All of that was lost. And so people lost their jobs. They went overseas. The jobs went overseas because, um, you know, uh, labor is often cheaper than in America because we do expect as Americans to receive just compensation mm. for our work. And uh, in other countries, they just won't work. And so they are willing to work for less. And so people did lose their jobs. They lose, mm. lost their livelihood. And so I understand where they're coming from. Um, but we have to constantly remember in a democracy that there are three fundamental questions that are being debated in real time right now. Uh, who are we as a state or a nation? Who gets to decide who we are? And as you were just mentioning, Matt, so wisely, um, right now, the politicians are trying to decide for us who we are. And I reject that notion. It, we need to decide who we are. What is the foundation then once we decide who we are as a nation and a state? Um, what is the foundation of our state and nation then going forward? You are absolutely right about that, Donna. That is one of the biggest questions facing us right now. So on that, we do have to take a quick commercial break. We will be back here in just a few moments to continue our interview. So stick around, and we'll have a little more for you coming up in just a moment. Okay, welcome back from our break. Again, we are here with Donna Plunkett talking about the idea of making Ohio a model democracy state. And again, we are talking about the three fundamental questions that are facing us as a state and as a nation. Those three questions being, one, who are we as a state or a nation? Two, who gets to decide who we are? And third, what is the foundation of our state or our nation going forward. Now, Donna, my question to you would be, how do you see the citizens of Ohio answering these questions going forward? 
Sure. Well, the Ohio citizens in a model democracy state answer without hesitation. We in the first question, who are we as a state or a nation in the larger sense? We are who we choose to be. We have choice in this. We, the people of Ohio, choose democracy by focusing on the best that is in each and every Ohioan. And Ohioans are full of creativity, determination. We have a can-do nature. We're persistent. We have compassion for others. Uh, we have an unwavering commitment to an ever more perfect union. We know Ohioans can influence an entire nation by our example. And then for question number two, who gets to decide who we are? Ohio citizens in a model of democracy state respond with humility because it has to be with humility. We do. We, the citizens, decide who we are going to be. I say it with humility because this power to decide who we are is not to be taken lightly or without due gravity in its implementation. Um, Ohio citizens in a model of democracy state hold democracy in our hands through our vote. Our vote power is sovereign. And sovereign means we are so lucky to live in a democracy because sovereign vote means it is ours by virtue of just being born in a democracy. No one, no one can decide to give us a vote or take a vote away. No one. <laughs> uh, and, and our officials, our elected officials are trying to say, you can vote, you cannot. You can vote, you cannot. By the way, they uh, structure the voting process, which they do have control over. Our state officials do have control over how the voting process occurs in their various states. But they cannot say that uh, this person can vote and that person cannot. That is not, they don't have right. the authority to do that in a democracy. Yeah. And then finally, fundamental question. I'm sorry, did you want to oh, ask a no, question? No, I Matt? was just kind of going to say like, yeah, we yeah. do have some secretary of states out there that do want to limit that right to vote to yes. only certain people within the state. And mm -hmm. you're right, we cannot have that. And that should be something that none of us stand for. No. Exactly, exactly. The final question is, what is the foundation for our state or nation going forward? And Ohio citizens in a model of democracy state answer affirmatively, all people are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. This is a foundation on which to build a better, more just state and nation. It is what is termed a BHAG, <laughs> okay. a B-H-A-G. Translation, a big, hairy, audacious <laughs> like goal. It is a goal that will, <laughs> it will, it is a goal that will take commitment fortitude, creativity, and new ways of thinking to achieve. It is a choice. We can choose to do this. We have the courage in Ohio. We have the courage in our nation, I believe. And we have this, the uh, ability to choose how we are going to develop from here on out. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, you're right. That is, that is one, on one hand, that's something we can choose. And it's something that I feel like... <laughs> as a state and a nation, we're kind of at a crossroads and need to choose soon. Do you, do you agree? Oh, yes. Oh, I do. You are, you're, you're so wise because uh, we definitely are. And with the crossroads mm -hmm. comes opportunity and we are having an opportunity right now to forge a stronger democracy. 
or we can lose it. And I keep saying, not on my watch. We're not going to lose democracy on my watch. I'm going to try to do whatever I can as one person and then pulling other people with me. uh, Yeah, yeah, like you're saying there, Donna, that's something we got to stick by the principles that make us Americans, that make us participants in a democracy. We need to remember that every person gets a vote and we shouldn't be trying to disenfranchise Mm -hmm. people from that inalienable right. That's right. Exactly. Uh, and, and we've got to constantly remember, just as Louis Brandeis said, there is no more important political office than that right. of citizen. Approaching the perfectibility of our democracy in concert as citizens, then, with determination, assertiveness, humility, openness, diligence, positive intention, because this is not, um, we definitely want this to be a peaceful. Uh, positive direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not talking about, uh, you know, violence right, in any way. Um, with a model of democracy state, violence mm-hmm. is anathema. You don't want violence. You want to invite yeah, people to the come antithesis along with to you democracy there, and right? get the best from them. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And Ohioans have these, abu- these uh, attributes in abundance, and they can uh, be a model for the entire right. nation. And remember, as as citizens here, I think we all need to remember that we need to, one, uh, put politicians in office that will abide by these attributes and these values. And two, once they're in mm-hmm. office, we got to remember, like, I don't think our job's over necessarily once they're just in office. We got to make sure we have politicians in there and hold them accountable. Oh, excellent. Yes. And, you know, in some sense, we have been derelict in our duty as citizens, because when we elect people, just as you said, we need them to hold them accountable. We need to be watching what they're doing. We need to speak up when there's something uh, occurring that is not uh, does not follow along the lines of being a democracy. And we've kind of let that go (laughs) in some time. So we're just as guilty in some ways as those we elect. And I think it seems to me uh, that that there's been a feeling among some elected officials that uh, once they get elected, that that they are in charge of us and they tell us what to do. And and that is not the way it works in a democracy. They work for us. And I don't mean that in a, you know, we we work together, really, one would hope. But, um, you know, that they do not have power over us. We, the people, have the power exactly. in a democracy. And so we need to exercise that power and keep them uh, yeah. as public servants. They need to look at themselves as public servants. And I think we've lost some of that right. over the and years. This, this crossroads of democracy we're at, I think that is something we really got to keep in mind here. Mm-hmm. I, agree. Right. I agree. I uh, agree. And again, I believe that the you know Ohioans have the kind of courage to make this vision a reality, um, and we need to show America the flame of democracy is alive and well in Ohio, and by becoming a model of democracy state. The time is now, the date is today, and a next step would be uh, I hope to establish a citizens roundtable. Uh, you're probably very familiar with business mm-hmm. roundtables, and uh, they've been very powerful, and they've gotten a lot of uh, forward movement over the years because they've been in place for a long time. And uh, I would like to start something that's uh, 
similar, but for citizens, the citizens roundtable to work through the steps to get to Ohio becoming a model of democracy state. All right. Well, that sounds fantastic. And we certainly wish you the best of luck in making this happen. Uh, again, we are here with Donna Plunkett. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. It's much appreciated. Thank you. I appreciate the time you've allowed me to talk about this idea of mine. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much, Donna. <laughs> All right. And that was our interview with Donna Plunkett. Yeah, and we want to thank her for taking the time to sit down uh, to talk about her ideas about turning Ohio into a model democracy state. But yeah, that is the end of our show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Listening to us, we'll uh, be back again next week with some more Ohio-based news. But until then, hope you guys have a rest good, a good rest of your Sunday. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. We thank you all for tuning in. Once again, this has been The Ohio Advocate with Matt and Justin. Have a good rest of your day, Ohio. We will talk to you soon.